0: Welcome back, everybody, to Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. I am Lisa Linky, one half of your co-host journey captains. And today, my other co-host, Journey Captain Misty, is not here. Misty Stinn is not with us. But do not fear, because I have a special guest that I will announce in just a a minute. But if you're new to uh, the podcast, welcome, tiny pocket friends, soon to be longtime loyal listeners. This is a podcast where we read and review a popular self-help book every week, and we talk about how we feel about it. We give you the tips, the tricks, the highs, the lows, the yabies, the boobies. We tell you all about it. And if you like what you hear, you go support the author and buy the book because we can't tell you everything in it. And if you don't like what you hear, you're welcome because we have just saved you time and energy and money. Because, you know, there's a lot of shit in the genre of self-help. This is an explicit podcast. You knew that on Clicking. But the bottom line is in under an hour, you will get the nuggets, the core, the pith, the essence, the espresso. I'm stealing all of this from our special guest. You'll meet him in a minute the distillation of the perspective-altering self-help advice that you've been craving or that other people have been craving for you. Um, And it makes you a real know-it-all on your Zoom Hangouts. Just to timestamp this, it is January 16. This episode is coming out later February, so we hope that the inauguration will have happened. Let us know. And uh, this is our Friday episode. On Tuesdays, we follow up with our weekly beef, which is all things supplemental self-help. We like to do interviews and thought-provoking questions and uh, articles and lots of other stuff. And it's it's super, super fun. And starting this year, we have a Patreon where you will get lots more content, additional uh, book content that we didn't have time to cover in the episode. We will do homework and report on the homework from each book and what we're calling our deep dive videos, which you don't have to watch. You can listen to like an episode if that works for you. But those are more intimate and vulnerable And so uh, you're still getting all the content that we were creating for you for the past two years, but now you have an opportunity to support the podcast and its production and get more intimate with us. I mean, what's not fun about intimacy with Misty and Lisa? Am I right? Hashtag, am I right? Okay, I'm going to shut up now because you guys, whoa, I mean, I miss Misty, but I'm so excited for you to meet one of my nearest and dearest and longtime friends. Please, please welcome to Go Help Yourself, Andy. Henninger. Andy,
1: welcome. Lisa, thank you. I am so happy to be here.
0: I've wanted Andy to come on for, what, years? Since like moment one. And he's such a wonderful, wonderful friend. And I want to tell you a little bit about him. So I'm going to read his bio and then I'm just going to swoon over him. Okay. Andy is a designer and ideation junkie who has designed learning and development programs for over two decades. He has helped hundreds of corporations. I'm going to say to develop their employees on topics ranging from sales enablement to fast feedback to inclusion to executive presence. On the consumer side, he creates interactive ideation labs to help brands co-create with consumers to test, position, innovate, and communicate. All of that doesn't nearly just express how awesome he is. Andy was the head of the writing program for the Second City Training Center from 2011 to 2016 and holds an MA in playwriting from Miami University he continues to perform, write and improvise in his hometown of Los Angeles. Andy, oh my friend.
1: Thank you for having me here. I mean, not the yep. least, not the least of which because I'm addicted to self-help, so I'm a longtime <laughs> listener, huge fan, ready to roll, ready to rumble.
0: Andy is an LLL and <laughs> Andy, so Andy tell the people how we know each other.
1: We know each other in a couple different ways as performers. Mm-hmm. Uh, through improvisation in the Chicagoland area where everyone kind of knows everyone, even if you've never met them, you know mm-hmm. of them. And
0: mm-hmm. I certainly
1: knew of you even before I met you, but we mm-hmm. ran in similar circles and then we got to travel the world together working for Second City, yeah. doing those, those workshops and working for corporations, some amazing, some not so amazing. <laughs> and there's no one who I would rather be with when people are terrible than Lisa Linky.
0: I mean, Andy and I truly have traveled the world. We've been on four continents together. We have just been in the best of times and the worst of times. And I truly, there's no one I would rather be with than Andy too. Like Andy is, we play good cop, bad cop together. So he'll turn to me in front of a group of people and be like, can we do this one thing? And I'll be like, no, I'm the timekeeper, no. And he'll be like, I'm sorry guys, Lisa says no. (laughs) But then again- When somebody, when they're a little unruly, Andy turns to me and I say, let's move to a new exercise. (laughs) Like I can come in with the heavy and Andy can make them fall in love with us. So together, we're like a perfect match. We are. And now we both live in LA. And prior to the pandemic, we would see each other quite frequently. And now it's mostly on Zoom. But I am in love with Andy's dogs and Andy's husband and everything. I'm in love with everything, Andy, including Andy. And his gardening skills in his backyard are, he's, he's incredible. Is there nothing Andy can't do? Answer that question first. Yes. Bake. What is it? I cannot okay. bake. I cannot bake. Well, I will bake for you. Bake. I will bake for you. And also, I need to tell people this story is that Andy and I would fly on planes forever and Andy would always bring work and work the entire time and then crash for the last 20 minutes. But he would always bring this one book that he wanted to finish reading. And it was a self-help book. Andy, what was the name of that book?
1: Getting Things Done.
0: Did you ever finish it? I
1: have still never finished it.
0: <laughs> I kept trying to liberate him from that book and he would never let it go.
1: It is still never. It, I've never gotten all the way through it. I've heard the author on many podcasts now. He's gotten much older since I first tried to read his book. You could hear his his voice lower over the decades. I still have not finished his book.
0: Well, it seems though, maybe with today's book that you're bringing, that you might have an alternative.
1: Yes, a very different perspective that I think is a little more in line with me.
0: Okay. So Andy, tell us, what book are you bringing today?
1: All right. So I read this book, uh, well, a a little bit of, okay. The book is called The Lazy Genius Way by Kendra Adachi. It was a gift, gift to me for Christmas from my husband.
0: Yes. And if you had to sum up the book in one sentence, what would you say?
1: It's about finding the sweet spot between being a genius or a perfectionist or being lazy and giving up to have time to focus on what's meaningful for you.
0: Oh, is there a third option of just being lazy?
1: (laughs) That's the one side of the spectrum. It's like lazy or a genius.
0: <laughs> I love it. Let me do some quick book prices. It is a New York Times bestseller. It's 228 pages. The Kindle is $13.99. The ebook is $13.99 available uh through uh, bookshop.org. The hardcover is $23.92. The audiobook on uh Libro FM or Libro FM, we're still not sure. Narrated by the authors is $24.50. Okay, so that's some of the that's some of the scuttle out of the way now, Andy. So this book was given to you as a Christmas gift. And were you excited to read it? Like, what were your first impressions?
1: I, right off the bat, I was really excited. I'm like, oh, this seems to be really good. And my husband is very discerning in what he he gets for me. Okay. And I'm like, and I always think it's like, oh, if a book comes into my life, it's because it has a message for me. So I feel like I have to read it and accept it.
0: What uh, was it, the message of getting things done? <laughs>
1: <laughs> to I let it to... go. I'm
0: going to say that, that message was let it go.
1: I did borrow that book from a from my roommate at the time, and she always tells me that I stole it and have never given it back. I'm like, you don't want it. It would not, it wouldn't land on you.
0: I couldn't get through it. It was so, it was just terrible writing. Okay. Now, Misty and I, as you know, we rate books as either practical or woo-woo, right? Like, is it asking you to make vision boards or is it giving you lists? Which would you say? Is it practical or is it woo-woo?
1: It is very practical. Very practical. Okay.
0: Okay. All right. Well, do you, can you tell us a little bit about the author or do you want to tell us a little bit? uh, Do you want to give us any context setup? It's up to you.
1: Yeah. Well, I will tell you this. At first when I got it, I thought, oh, this is going to be a kind of a business book, a a book about business. And I quickly realized, oh no, this is a different perspective. And within the first chapter, I realized, oh, this is, this is a mom blogger and she is focusing on like the household, like the, the overwhelm around the household. And I'm like, okay, all right, this is a slightly different mindset than I might come to a, a typical self-help book for, for, for like what I would sure, pick sure, up sure. to read. And then as I read further, I'm like, she is a Christian mom blogger. She's okay. talking about her faith. Now, here's a piece in this. So then I start looking for tripwires because I'm, I'm a gay man. <laughs> And I'm like, how long until I run into? I was enjoying the book right. at first. How long until I also, run into it's, something? I was like,
0: that when is the shoe going to drop? That I'm like, I don't, I can't like this book, and now I have to question everything I've liked thus far. Yeah, right?
1: like when is my when is my cool friend going to say something homophobic? I'm just like, when <laughs> when is it going to happen? Like, is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? And I kept going through the book, and I was scared to go and research her online because I didn't want to like pull the veil back. Because I was actually getting value. Out of reading the chapters, oh I'm like, God. I don't so want to crush it. The genre
0: changed from self-help to horror. Yeah, suspense. a bit
1: suspense, <laughs> suspense. definitely suspense. suspense. I was never horrified.
0: Suspense. Okay, good.
1: But it was good. It was good, clear-eyed advice. I mean, do you want to know the answer? The end. The end. Answer to that piece, or should I? Should I hold on to that? Should we keep the um, audience in suspense? Uh, uh,
0: let's keep the audience in suspense. All let's right. keep the suspense th- thing. Tell me a little bit more. Did you find were you able to find out anything about her as an as an author?
1: Yes, I did find a bit more about her that she had, it wasn't, this wasn't her first game. She had actually done some stuff around cooking and baking. Previously, it had a business there and had kind of stumbled into this focus around being the lazy genius when one of her friends said, oh, you're a lazy genius. And mm-hmm. the the approach and methodology and some of her insight and her blogging really comes from having been a perfectionist at one point in her life. Having dealt with an eating disorder in college, having mm-hmm. really done the, the self-work and the processing of that, and then going into parenthood and balanced from time to time, like a, a big business focus in terms of some of the entrepreneurialism that she was doing with having okay. a family and feeling. And I, and she, she speaks of it really beautifully of, as a mother and as someone who has a lot of drive, like trying to balance all those things and then the mm-hmm. vestiges of that perfectionism. So that all contributed to this perspective on being a lazy genius. One of her friends called her, like, wow, you're really a lazy genius. And she took that, that kind of branding love it. to heart and ran with it.
0: So she's somebody that we should listen to, we do listen to, or, or is this just like a person who got lucky and is, has found a following?
1: I think she found a perspective that earns a following.
0: Okay. I like but, that. I like that.
1: Yeah. I think that it, it should earn a following. Oh, I will say that I was, I mean, it's a very different perspective. I don't have children. I am living at home right now. So it's a perfect time to read a book when you're talking about like, how do you balance laundry and everything else? You,
0: you do have children. You have two adorable <laughs> dogs. One's name is Pearl, who, by the way, everybody, I got to keep an eye on during John and Andy's wedding. And she did fall off the stage twice, but she was wearing a dress. That wasn't my fault. And then the second... Is a new addition, Barb from accounting, who is the cutest. Your dogs are amazing.
1: They're amazing. And they're just like living their best, most relished self right now.
0: Yeah, because you're home 24 7.
1: They're going to die when we have to leave the house again someday. <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> There's going to be a whole self help genre for dogs when we go back to working in the real world. Tell us about the book. And if you want to start with the, you know, this is the overarching thing and here's how, or I, I leave it up to you. Just so you all know, Andy is a gifted storyteller. He's a gifted teacher about storytelling. So strap in and strap back and strap on and let's let's go for this ride.
1: Ooh, that makes me, that raises the stakes for...
0: Well, uh, see, he knows about story. That's what I'm saying.
1: Well, I will give this context for this. So this okay. book comes to me like almost a year, like what, nine months through being quarantined and being at home. Yes. So yes. we are in our homes. We're very aware of the mess. I find that for me, some of the chaos and the mess, and it comes from just being sort of like feeling low or feeling yeah. the, the weight of the time that's been going on. So like it, it was kind of good, clear-eyed advice that was talking about some areas that I was struggling with, like just managing the chaos of okay. living and working from home both. So that was really good about it. I am a recovering perfectionist. And I'm constantly trying to work on that piece through my own work. So this kind of landed on me in a really nice way from that perspective.
0: Um, what a nice moment. Yeah.
1: So I think I was probably receptive to some of the messages
0: inside of it. Yeah, yeah.
1: So the book, it goes through just uh, 12, 13 different chapters, and each one is a different area to think about. And Mm -hmm. so some of them are things like, decide once so make a decision about something a process something and just do it once okay and then she but the thing that's really interesting is something like this she'll apply it in a way that's very much around the the ebbs and flows and seasons of of like family life and your home life so she talks about it in terms of the holidays like decide what the okay. deal is once like we're going to play games after the thanksgiving dinner and that's what we're going to do as a family and that becomes the tradition i just thought it was so a- decide
0: once and then don't reevaluate whether or not it's the thing you want to do every year. Like just it, just make it and just make it and bake it, Make it and bake it. Set it and it. forget it. Listen, you're getting a real, a real wonderful version of me today. <laughs> who's just going to say a lot of saying. So I well, know you're here for it. And
1: that is that is your role. You are always the debunker. Whenever I'm just like, oh, this is the most beautiful. This 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 marketing case study is the most beautiful thing in the world. Lisa's the person that will have already like Googled some downside for that company. And she's like, yeah, that company is contributing to pollution in Mexico. Like you just love to take these balloons and suck the air out of them in the best of ways. Like it's a reality check that I so appreciate because that is not who I
0: am. Oh my God. I do suck the, I am the Debbie Downer, but not in a, I want everybody to feel bad. I'm just like, there is no free lunch. We all need to be holistic in our mindset. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, that's the thing, because if something passes muster for you, you know it's the real deal.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you, Andwiz. I appreciate that. Okay, okay. Yeah. So so are you going to tell us, how are you going to go through this? Are you going to give us, like, your highlights? Are you going to go cover a couple chapters? Like, how how are you going to give us your summary of this book?
1: Yeah, let me give you a few of the chapters that really stood out for me. Yeah. So, one that I thought was start small was a really big one. So, I decided once, then she talked about start small, which just seems so obvious. But for me, I'm such an all or nothing type of thinker. Like, I decide I'm going to redo my morning routine, and it has to be like 15 minutes of uh, functional movement to get my body and my joints (laughs) lubricated, and then 15 minutes of studying my Spanish app, and then 15 (laughs) minutes of meditating because being mindful is a huge thing for me. Like I, I yeah. am such an all or nothing, and if any one piece that gets broken, then it all falls down. Like recently, well, that's a sign
0: of perfection. That's the perfectionist, right? One hundred percent. Like I can't just tackle one thing in my morning. I'm good from the moment my eyes wake up. I'm gonna restructure everything, and everything has to be designed correct.
1: That is that yeah. is how I, I am. When she talks about the lazy genius way, she talks about like the genius way is being a perfectionist. Like you have to get it all, and it has everything has to be right. And then what often happens for those people, me included, is that if it's not working, you're just like, screw it, fuck it, I can't. Yeah. There's no way I can do all this. So we kind of like give up and allow for chaos. We don't allow for any of the space in between. And the whole thrust of this is like, be a genius in the places that matter. Like there, okay. you can sweat it. There, you can be focused on it. And then in the places that don't, it's be lazy. Be lazy. It does not
0: matter. Interesting. So start small. So like in the context of your morning routine, how would that apply?
1: For me, well, one of the things that I definitely noticed is like my morning routine, when we got this puppy, October, October so or so, everything, my whole morning routine went out the door. It was really hard yeah. to manage puppy, which like there's a puppy's pee everywhere. You may not know this, but puppies do pee everywhere.
0: They do. I didn't know that. No. Yeah,
1: if you didn't know that, it, it's true. And if you're not watching them, if you're meditating, for example, then they are not only interrupting your meditation, they're also peeing at the same time, as I discovered. <laughs> so really
0: pissing on your morning routine. You're l- welcome. Literally. Yes.
1: So my morning routine got all all screwed up. And so when reading this book, the thing that I realized, I just kind of realized that all or nothing thinking, I just hadn't even named it or yeah. articulated it. And mm-hmm. so just starting off with like, I can do a five minute meditation. I can put that back in at the right yes. juncture in the morning. Not beat myself up when I skip it or when I miss it for whatever reason, but yeah. as much as possible, just the teeny thing. She talks yeah. about in the book, she talks about doing a single, like, short down, down, downward dog instead of just like one. Just one. Just one. And she said at the end of a year doing it every day, she really had a lot more flexibility.
0: It's better than only going to like the entire yoga class once every two weeks because that's the only time you can make it. Yeah, that's really interesting. I also really like this idea of just five minutes because eventually the puppy will not be a puppy and you can increase it back again to your 15 minutes. Right. But we get so, you know, it's so disheartening when it changes hard, even positive change, you know? And that's, I love that idea. So are you able to put in like five minutes here and there?
1: Yeah, I've been, I'm I'm like six days in now, I guess. But I, I'm much more okay, consistent. Great. My app oh, I like, grades app. me. I need to have apps that grade me and tell me how good I'm, how well I'm doing. Probably a be terrible. Can
0: app. I, can I be that app? Because no matter what you do and what time of the day you check in, I say, you're doing great, sweetie. I love you. You're doing great. You're perfect in every way. So start small. So choose once or decide once and start small. I love that.
1: Yeah, so the, that's kind of the the tone of the whole thing is this very simple, clear eyed advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, inside of everything, and
0: she doesn't sound. I was going to say parsimonious, and that's not a word. She doesn't sound. What's the word when you're like talking down to people?
1: Sanctimonious.
0: That's it. Not a parsnip, but sanctum. <laughs> Sanctimonious. Uh, she doesn't. Does it sound? How does it come across? What's yeah, really. So?
1: Uh, I'll, let me read something for you. I'll read yeah, a little bit of something for you. Just because I, I let's do. All right. So one of the things that she she talks about is the magic question. And the okay. magic question is, what could I do now to make life later easier? Okay. So she's just breaking. It's like being a little strategic. Like my mind interprets is like, what's the strategic thing that I can do now? Yeah. Uh, but she just makes it so sort of colloquial. Like, what do you do now to make life easier tomorrow? Mm-hmm. What can I do now to make dinner easier later? This version of the magic question is extra sparkly, simply because we eat every single day and can see the payoff more clearly. Dominoes fall so smoothly in the kitchen she speaks of this as like the first domino. What's the first domino that I can take care of so it doesn't fall later on? Mm. The first time I spilled a pot, filled a pot with water for spaghetti four hours before dinner, I remember thinking I was a little crazy. How much help would that actually be? My toddler could fill a pot with water. Then five o'clock hit and that same toddler became a parasite who would not let go of me. I remember tearing up because I was so glad to turn a knob on the stove rather than try to haul a full pot with one hand while having a, holding a diva two-year-old with my other arm.
0: Interesting. So that is a start small. That's like, I just filled up one pot of water and this is a domino, right? Like if I can't fill up a pot of water, I can't make dinner. If I can't make dinner, my kids get cranky. You know what I mean? Like, is this still in the start small or did I forget another, was this another section?
1: It was another section called ask the magic question. What can I do Oh, that's that right. To make ask that the easier? magic question.
0: Amazing. Okay. So the question is what will make it easier?
1: Yeah. That's what I really appreciated about this. I mean, she makes it very much in the day, in the life of uh, a working parent. Yeah. Like, that's kind of the the landscape. But I think anyone – I find it very relatable. I'll say that for myself in terms of –
0: I also don't have kids, but it'll come up 6.30. I'm like, I'm starving, and I haven't done anything to think about dinner. mm -hmm. So that's – okay, okay, I like that.
1: A few of the other things that she – and she talks about a lot of – Stuff that feels very obvious when she says it, but there's like mm-hmm. in terms of thinking about it, things like put everything in its place. We mm-hmm. hear that a lot. Set house rules like, what are the house rules? Mm-hmm. And she talks about it for like for the kids coming home backpacks on the counter, backpacks on the mm-hmm. counter, backpacks in one place, mm-hmm. but just those kind of consistent house rules. And she, this is one of those examples of very much like pick and choose, like pick your choose your battles. Kind of right. it's not about having house rules anywhere and everywhere, it's just the house rules that are going to, to matter because those are the things that are meaningful for you or that are really annoying your for easy, you. life easy,
0: right? Because you're not looking for, you're not searching for the backpack at five o'clock at night trying to find the permission slip that they, or in the morning before they go to school. Okay, I see, I see, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's even one of the things she says, like all, all paper out of the bag on the counter in this one spot. <laughs> so just <laughs> things like that. And she talks about it, like I said, as the, the first domino. Like, what's the first domino? Like, if I can ha- handle that first domino that's going to cause the others to fall I don't have to worry about the rest of them.
0: It's like a process like a process question riddle where they'll be like you're standing at a river at, the, at a riverbed and there are babies like floating down the river. What do you do? And people are like You try to get as many babies out of the river until somebody's finally like, you go upstream and see who's throwing babies in the river. (laughs) Like, you solve the problem, but like the overwhelming nature of it makes it so that you're just like, uh, I just do what's in front of me when really what needs to be addressed is earlier.
1: What do you do about all those little Moseses that are in there?
0: People didn't like my answer to it because people were like, you gather, you know, you you wade in and you did you make a rope and I was like, well, you could let them go. And everybody was like, oh, you know, and I was like, it's an option. We said we were listing out options. We're it's just not. We're just, it's a hypothetical situation.
1: But that is also your brand, 100 percent Go to one hundred my
0: brand. I did just want to see what everybody did. All right.
1: Shut down it. that babies in the water factory.
0: Thank you. Go and see who's putting the babies in the water. Is it a swim like swimming lesson gone wrong? Like what's <laughs> happening?
1: <laughs> root causes. Okay, Lisa. Yes. Root cause, Linky.
0: Lisa. Root cause. Yeah, digging out root causes since the day she was born. Okay, so ask the right question, which will help you and and figure out these dominoes. I love that. I love that.
1: One of the ones, it was interesting because it's a lot of chapters like that. Like, here are some of the tactical things you can do. And then she gets to a chapter which talks about letting people in. It was interesting because at first I'm like, this is sort of a left field. But it really was about that sense of first asking for help, which I thought was so... And it's like right in the center. It's like right in the middle of all these chapters. And it's so well positioned, especially for a recovering... I'll call myself a recovering perfectionist. I don't know how true that is yet. But someone who... Definitely has that perfectionism and is so loath to let people in. To in terms of asking for help, and she talks about that too. In terms of like what's meaningful in terms of the relationships for you too. Yeah, the people get so busy uh, in terms of their trying to seem perfect that they don't truly let people in. And the example that she gives and it's a hard one to take on, like right now when we can't literally can't let people into our homes. Right.
0: But right, she talks right.
1: about we don't have, we don't invite people over until everything is perfect. And so the, the net result of, the, of that is we don't literally let people into our home. And yeah. this really resonated for me because we're definitely victims of this. Like my mm-hmm. husband and I, probably more me than him, but we wouldn't invite people over until everything could be 100% perfect. Like we yeah. just incredibly stressed about it. And she's like, "Why why can't you just have a dessert? Have it be a dessert. Have it be not breakfast, not lunch. Have it be coffee. Like what, she said, the thing I thought was so great, and it's one of those things you kind of get intellectually, but to be reminded, when you apologize for everything in your home, sorry about this mess, sorry about that, that's under construction, oh, we want to redo this kitchen, we hate it. Like, when you do all that, you're setting this impossible bar so that they have to do the same when you go to their homes.
0: It's true. You know, it's reminding me, and Misty does such a great job of this, so long-time loyal listeners are already probably thinking of other books, and Misty will will." Remind others. I just, of course, plow through, but I'm thinking of Brene Brown's daring greatly when she talks about vulnerability, right? And like, I I love that this author didn't start with that because people would have been like, hell no. But she earned your trust and your respect by being like, she has some important things to say. I could definitely do some of these things. And then she said, you know, wholehearted living. Requires vulnerability and requires that we allow people in to see some of our imperfections, right? And yes, acknowledging that when I say, I wish I would have you over, but the house is a mess, I am implicitly and implicitly, not explicitly, but implicitly saying it's not okay to have people over if your place isn't spotless. And you know, most people, Work, so, and an addition, I'll add in, oh, I am being very misty right now, with the book by Gemma Hartley, Fed Up, which talks about emotional labor and mental load, that predominantly this falls, in hetero heterosexual couples, this, this job falls to the women. And when you go to a house that's messy, you immediately blame the wife or the woman. And it's not necessarily fair, right? Because... <laughs> There's two people who probably have full-time jobs. So w- why is this? And women tend to do more housework on the whole, which is in our book by Liz Plank for Love of Men. Oh my God, I'm like on a domino here myself. <laughs> she mentioned that homosexual couple, couples have it easier in terms of diagnosing who will do what housework because there's none of that bullshit gender, mm-hmm. you know, uh, thing to kind of ne- negotiate. I'm very proud of myself right now. But I what I, w- I want to say is, I think that I still fall victim to that. And Misty has offered a couple of times, she's like, let me just come and you know, sit on the deck. We'll sit six feet apart because I have been very isolated during this pandemic, right? And I was like, I really don't want you to have to walk through my house. And we just agreed. We just agreed. Listen, it doesn't matter what our houses look like. We are friends who do not care, right? Like it's okay to be ashamed of it or embarrassed, but we are gonna be friends who do not give a shit about what each other's house looks like. We give each other permission, radical permission, to have our place be an absolute dump and it doesn't change the way that we think about one another. And that was like really uplifting because there's only a few friends I have like that, you know, and you and I are from the Midwest, Andy. And so that was not okay to do. No. It was never okay to have people over without it being clean.
1: No, this that really struck me. It was something that I never would have thought I would explore. And I mean, especially now at, we don't, there's no chance of having anyone into our house right now anyway. So it's not a big deal. And we have a puppy who drags sticks in from outside and we'll realize wait, there's pieces of stick all over the carpet. It's fine. I'll clean it up tomorrow because she's going to do the same thing tomorrow. So we end up going a few days with just detritus on the floor. It's, it's, it's also okay.
0: Are you willing to talk to me about like what that experience is like of, you know, recognizing that. Maybe what you would like to do is clean it all up, but you are acknowledging that this is going to happen tomorrow. And so what that process is like for you of, of in this recovering perfectionist, which I, mm. I really acknowledge and relate to myself.
1: Clearly the connection is the most meaningful thing. Like mm-hmm. people being connected is the most meaningful thing for me. And having time to connect with our, our animals, each other, like that is more important than spending an hour every night cleaning up. That has just been really freeing. And even as I start to look forward to what like so, I've become so tight with people in the neighborhood. Oh. Just looking forward to welcoming people into my home is really exciting. I can't wait to be able to do that. Oh, and I'm this is for you. just to kind of surrender the, uh, the thought that everything has to be perfect when that happens is great. Like, let that be an everyday. Let that be the house that front door and back door is open so that the neighbor's kids can run through
0: yeah
1: rather than these formal moments that we plan for and i think that so often we fall into those formal moments and yeah i loved growing up in a messy farmhouse where kids could run through
0: yeah. and no
1: one gave a shit but i also grew up with a sense of i like i know that i linked that with chaos around like my parents alcoholism mm-hmm. just the cacophony growing up closeted and gay and trying to control as much as I could. So I yeah. so relate the mess, even though I'm pretty much okay with mess normally, but I so relate that to shame or loss of control and yeah. just having any little piece that starts to drive a wedge in that and opens it up yeah, and just frees me up.
0: It's so I'm so glad you shared that. I really want to thank you for being open and vulnerable with that. And I also just want to validate it because I too had that, you know, my, dad's mom swept the gutters by the street because it had to look perfect. There couldn't be dust or leaves on the street by their house. Like, you know, that was, it had to be, had to look that perfect, right? From the outside, no matter how unhappy or, you know, his dad hadn't worked in months because he was injured. You know, like that level of, Perfectionism and what, what other people think of us. And, and then my mom and my Grammy who kept everything because of the depression, you know, like everything was stored away and tucked away. And so I grew up in the tension of that, like everything must look like a museum versus we can't get rid of it, anything. And so for me, there's a lot of tension and stress around that. And I think how I've kind of dealt with it is at some point getting with friends who know me and don't judge me. I, you know, I, I know that when you and John come over and the place is like, there's shit stacked on my desk. Like, I know that doesn't change who you think, how you think about me. You don't change your opinion.
1: Yeah, absolutely not.
0: Yeah. What I feel about stranger coming in, I might be like, Ooh, you know, but I've made my close knit group of people to where I, I have started to tolerate that.
1: I remember early on in the and not even the pan, not even before the pandemic, but I was hanging out outside with some of the neighbors and we were closer to our house than we were to their house. So one of the kids asked John, oh, can I use your bathroom? And he said, sure. And so they came in and I realized our house is a disaster on the inside. And like our neighbor's kids seeing the house and just like what that brought up
0: in yeah. terms of tension. Oh, that's such a great awareness, Andy. I love that. But why? Yeah. I mean, what value is it adding truly in the grants? And maybe that's another gem of this pandemic is that like, having gone so long without having people in our house and being afraid to be in houses, then when we finally get to be in them, we're not going to give a fuck about what they look like. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like just the joy of being close to people in a space that isn't our own or have new faces in our houses is just going to be enough. Mm -hmm. You know?
1: I think that for some people like that, that joy of space or the the kind of the, pristine space is, is meaningful and important. Like that's top of everything. It isn't for me. Like having a nice space is important, but having a perfect space is definitely not.
0: It's not for me too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Cool. I'd much rather have a party. Like a party, <laughs> a space that people feel can feel like they can be themselves. Like that is meaningful and important.
0: Yes. Yes. You're right. I should not, we should, we definitely aren't trying to shame people who who for them, you know, presentation and like cleanliness and If your house looks like a museum, makes you feel great. Great for me, as Andy can see behind me. Clearly not, (laughs) but that's okay. That's okay. All right. What else? Anything else that you loved from the book?
1: That was the chapter that really hit me the hardest. Other things were stuff like batch it, like do everything at once, which is kind of like, oh, that seems really logical. It was interesting that she had so many references because she had done like baking before. Mm -hmm. Uh, She would talk about that a lot. And one of the things that came up also in that chapter, she talked about on her blog, people would be like, all right, you're all about being this lazy genius, but yet you talk about like these baking sojourns and baking is such uh, an area for perfectionism. It takes so much effort and so much weight. And that was a chapter where uh, to kind of continue that, that, that through line of like, what kind of Christian mom blogger was she? she, Mm. She acknowledges like, she name-checks Brene Brown, then she acknowledges white privilege. I'm like, all right, she's going to be okay. Okay, <laughs> gonna okay. Be, I'm not going to run into any...
0: You could relax.
1: <laughs> I could relax there. But she also then talks about that tension point, and I'm going to read this because I thought it was so great, when she talks about the um, the perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the tension between perfectionism and being real, and how we're often asked to be both. Like, you got to be yes. real, but you got to be perfect. Like, when we're yes. playing, I think especially women are charged or people who are in that, that whatever the role is in relationship, like charged with childcare and the home, Mm -hmm. wherever that is falling, there's extra tension. Mm -hmm. Our culture is obsessed with being real, but we've been using the wrong measuring stick. As I type these words, my middle son is home with a stomach bug and he and my daughter are watching television because I'm tired of talking to them. I haven't showered in a couple of (laughs) days and I'm in a fight with my husband. If I shared that on Instagram, you might think I love her for being so real. But what if I shared a day when my kids and I were playing soccer outside, dinner was prepped by four o'clock and I was wearing makeup. Would I still be real? Yes, I would. And so would you. I'm all for letting go of perfection, but we've somehow conflated order with being fake. I do it too.
0: Interesting. How did that hit you? What did that strike in you?
1: At the time it was a really interesting kind of like unpacking of that. Where she takes that ultimately is like, there are areas where it really matters. And those are the areas to put your focus on trying to have stuff together. And then there are areas that where it isn't, and that's where you can take your focus off. She, something else that she talks about is like seasonality, like being in the season and there are mm-hmm. seasons for some things, and seasons for for not some things. That like there are some yeah. seasons where everything falls into discord, or the summer where everyone's a little more lazy. Lazy, and then there's the fall where like school is back in coming back in sessions. So you're a little more locked down. Mm-hmm. You bring a little more focus to those morning and afternoon routines. I really just love that sense of riding with the seasons. That the humans have kind of evolved to be seasonal.
0: Yeah, rather than being robotic. You know, day in, day out, day in, day out, we operate like machines, regardless Mm -hmm. of what's going on around us, which I think is, look, I'm going to get real extrapolating here, extrapolative. Sure. You know, I think that denial of what's happening around us is partly why we're in a climate crisis, right? Like, I'm a machine, I operate the same way, no matter what's going around me, then when things are problematic around me, I don't notice them.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah
0: interesting this sort of
1: selective selective site
0: well, it just allows for a more human experience yeah like summer is lazy it's hot you don't move as much you know spring brings a lot of energy you know it's so i i really like that that's something i would like to adopt here okay. in la where every day is 72 and sunny
1: <laughs> <laughs> there's still a seasonality sometimes we're with it sometimes it's like we let it have to let it go sometimes we're kind of in our power, and sometimes we're in our whatever. This is real woo-woo. But sometimes I think that we're also gathering what's next or or figuring things out or
0: processing. Yeah. And maybe the lesson is ex- just accepting whatever we're in versus trying to compare to what we quote-unquote should be or why am I not operating at the level that I was last week? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great. Okay. I like the way you said that.
1: I do think that she was also struggling to balance out the thing she's getting ready to this is kind of that was in the preamble and she's getting ready to go through a lot of chapters some of which are like batch it put everything and do all your lunches together i mean some of it's like is that it's not going to necessarily be important to everyone and some people might look at that and charge her with being like stepford mom Mm -hmm. (laughs) like that's the Mm -hmm. sort of organization So she's trying to like reconcile those two, Mm -hmm. those two things, like not being a perfectionist, but making some smart strategic decisions and then maybe getting ahead of some things from time to time.
0: So how did that hit you? Did it come across as like, do it, but try your best? Or did it come across as just like, figure it out? Like, I I don't know. It's, it's hard to reconcile those things. It's like that toy, like bop it, twist it, push it, right? (laughs) Like batch it. What's the question? you know, decide once, like it's all of those things. And then she's like, but you know, seasons, am I right? Like, <laughs> you know? does it feel authentic to you from her?
1: I think it does because okay. she's really consistent in going back to what's the most meaningful for you. Okay. What is meaningful for you? And then she defines meaningful as like, what creates that sense of human connection? Like where, where do you get to connect, connect to the things that you love and connect with mm-hmm. the people that you love? So she's really consistent about always going back and she bakes it into, so to speak, into every single chapter, constantly going back to what's meaningful, what's meaningful. Because I think that she stays to that North Star in terms of a lazy genius is someone who's lazy where it doesn't matter and a genius, which kind of like she encodes as a little bit of perfectionism or a little more strategic where it does matter. Mm -hmm. So to to my mind, her consistency kind of won out over everything. Some chapters landed on me better than others
0: did. Sure, sure, sure. Well, it does definitely sound like Brene Brown with this wholehearted living, right? So I can see how she name checks her for sure. She sounds like she's been an influence for her.
1: She touches on that a few times in the last couple chapters go more into like schedule rest, be kind to yourself. So releasing up, she definitely wants to balance out, batch it, hit it, do it with-
0: pop it. Nap it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> the other side. Yeah, nap it.
0: Stretch it.
1: <laughs> Do your one downward dog.
0: Downward dog it. Okay. Cool. Anything else that you definitely want to share with us?
1: The as she comes to the home stretch, one of the quotes that that really captured it and I just took away as like, "Oh, this is kind of her mission statement or this is her purpose or even mm-hmm. if she hasn't articulated it as it is, how it felt for me." But she writes, we become a generation of women who are at peace with who we are, who encourage one another to move closer to our deepest identities and shed what's in the way. And for me, that was like, oh, she has just begun this work. So I'm like, it made me really excited about what she's created in the world. And I truly feel like she's an author out there as a creator who's kind of really aligned in that and is doing good work inside of it. So...
0: Yeah, yeah. Her head, her heart, and her feet are aligned. <laughs> oh, Andy, this was really wonderful. Well, I'm super excited. We'll, of course, have links to her website and everything in the show notes. And of course, there's so much more that you you just touched on a little bit, and it sounds like there's lots lots more in there. But I definitely have some questions yes, for you if you're willing to answer them. All right. Did this book need to be written?
1: Yes. If only because it was the right book for me at the right
0: time. 100%. 100%. What did you try to put into practice? You've talked a little bit about it, and how did it affect you? Anything else? I know you mentioned like meditating for five minutes or, and being kind to yourself. How, how, what have you noticed so far?
1: Well, I can't really invite people into my home, but I have definitely taken on making requests of people. Like that for me was just a great reminder to let people in in a broader sense.
0: And what has that been like? Was it, was it frightening to do? It's was it funny because that, it, it, as much as
1: like inviting people into your house is inviting them in, into the mess. For me, making requests is sometimes like I, I can't even articulate what help I need necessarily. I just know I need help. And my experience has been with yeah. people are like, I don't care what that you can't let's figure it out. Like people have been really willing to, to step in. So that's been pretty profound. From a work standpoint.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad. I'm so glad, Andy, because I also just want to reiterate that it's different when somebody, when you're like, can you, can you hand me that pen? And they're like, oh, I don't see it. Right? Like, where is it? Right? That's a different kind of energy than somebody who is a recovering perfectionist, who is somebody who takes on a lot of responsibility and delivers, who finally says, I don't know, but I'm really, I need some help with this think the response is definitely different to those two kind of energies, right? And you are certainly the latter, not the former. And I know if you ever asked me for anything, I would jump at the chance to help you because you've always been so helpful to me. So I hope that, I, ho- I hope, well, you thank you. I hope you, I hope you know that goes both aware ways. Of that about yourself. <laughs> thank you. Andy and I go both ways. Do you feel the author missed anything?
1: No, from what she's biting off, I would say she doesn't, miss okay. anything i mean she only touches on she's looking at it from a kind of a very narrow band in terms of around privilege and you get a very mm-hmm. sense of like this is kind of a uniform cultural presumption that people are probably middle class have some certain level of wherewithal in terms of child care the ability to take on some of these things so she kind of like makes some mm-hmm. some pretty broad presumptions and she acknowledges those at one point in the book but there's There's definitely some no-go zones around like socioeconomic status and need around like non-binary gender, like relationships that that kind of flex outside. She's very much Mm -hmm. husband and wife in terms of the roles that she speaks about. She really frames it around her own vulnerability and her own experience. And she's pretty upfront and clear about that. I would love mm-hmm. to see a larger kind of look and analysis mm-hmm. at analysis of some of the things that she brings up and talks about, because I think she collects them in a really beautiful and applicable way. But what would that look like if you expanded it out? What would you look like?
0: Yeah. Does she ever talk about research or anything? She does a bit. She does yeah. She, it, it, I would it say it's not a research
1: heavy, research heavy book, but she's definitely done some of her homework around some of the aspects of it. And she speaks to a, a little bit. I mm-hmm. would say like a three out of a 10.
0: Yeah. So it's not just coming from all yeah. from my mind, but there is evidence to back this up and you can do more of the research on your own if you want to be interested, because I've done just enough to make sure that I'm not yes. getting sued. That kind of research. Well, I guess it's interesting too. I I really would, you know, something Misty and I talk about a lot is caveats, like just a caveat, just to acknowledge, like this is the, this is the kind of, you know, like you said, heteronormative, this is the socioeconomic class I'm talking about just just to acknowledge, listen, if you're working two jobs, it's exhausting. And if you don't have childcare and you have to do this all yourself, you may not find the time to put a pot of water on the stove and that's okay. You know what I mean? Like just to kind of acknowledge it is really, it's valuable, I think, especially coming from white heteronormative authors with privilege. I think it's really helpful. Who would you buy this book for and who would you never buy this book for?
1: Who would I buy this book for? I would buy it for people who identified as like recovering perfectionists or perfectionists. That would be my doorway in. I wouldn't necessarily buy this for like my mom friends because I don't know if people's perspectives will align with Mm -hmm. it she comes from this Christian faith perspective too. That would be a, another area where I'd buy that for people who I knew, like that was an important part of their spirituality. It might be a safe <laughs> a safe purchase Yeah, for people like that.
0: A safe book, yes. I'm ready to read like mm-hmm. Satan's Guide to, to an Easy I Life, Satan's Guide to Cooking. Do you have a listener challenge? What do you want for the for listeners to try? And what do you want for Misty and I to try that Misty and I will cover on our deep dive episodes on Patreon?
1: I would love people to practice the start small. Okay. The start, like see where that plays out for you. Like where can you take on starting small? Where can you look across things that you've tried to, tried to start and haven't or have been thinking about? And where could you start small? Like really small. Okay. Like if it's, I always think of this the Spanish app. Like if you can't do 10 minutes a day on the Spanish app, can you do the Spanish app while you're sitting on the pot? Can you like just do one minute of it? An El Baño. Really small. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. So we'll try something super, super small. I love that. We'll start small. Andy, what a beautiful review of the Lazy Genius. I'm so excited for everybody to try something small. And I'm excited to embrace my laziness and call myself a genius.
1: Well, I have been, I certainly have started to get under the hood of my bias against Christian mom bloggers. So I'm okay. excited that I've okay. opened up that. Good, good, good. And definitely. As soon as I realized that was the case, I opened up my my thinking. I'm really glad that I finished the, that I read the book. I, I am got too. Time out of it.
0: And I can't wait for you to come back and present when getting, getting things done in our 10th year, on our 10th year of, of podcasting. This is really great. Andy, I'm just so, you're such a dear friend to me and such a such a champion in, in my absence when I, I, I mean, like, I can't tell you how many times all over the world this man has literally saved me from myself <laughs> and from doing something that would ruin my career or just given me joy. I had a birthday in the middle of Iowa, Kansas, and he entertained me by dancing a jig and speaking very loud to a microphone in an empty room. And made me laugh so hard. And it was really wonderful. Andy, you're just a a joy of a human.
1: Lisa, I am so honored to be on this program. On this program. And on the program with you. And I love this show. I love what you put out into the world. I'm just so delighted to be here.
0: Thank Yay. You. Well, with that, everybody, life is, is abundant. abundant. Go Help Yourself was produced by Misty Stinnett and Lisa Linky. Our theme song was written by the inimitable Matt Sav. Inimitable. There's nothing we love more than hearing from you. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. We're also at gohelpyourselfpodcast on Instagram and at G-H-Y podcast on Twitter. And you can go old school and check out our website at gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. It basically is a fancy PowerPoint slide. If you liked our podcast, please <laughs> subscribe, rate, and review because it